Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North. It's real simple. You know, if you take a person's legs away, they can't run. With your hosts, David Hahn. I want to remind people, there is no award for coming to the conclusion fastest on a quarterback in your football city. Nobody remembers, and frankly, nobody cares. And Dan Weeder. Particularly in this town, we start to get the extremes trying to outshout each other, right? Those who think that he's a bust are trying to outshout those who think that he's going to be an absolute seven-time All-Pro. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome in to the Take the North podcast. I am Dan Weeder with a very special episode of the Take the North podcast today. If you're not liking and subscribing to all our podcasts, please do so now. You can follow us on Twitter at at Take the North Pod. I can be followed on Twitter at at Dan Wiederer. My podcast partner, David Haw, can be followed at David Haw. Today's episode, though, is a very special interview edition with award-winning sports writer, talented author, Tyler Dunn, friend of the podcast. He has published a new book called The Blood and Guts, how Tight Ends Save Football. It's an incredible read on the history of the tight end position, but more so the personalities and characters that have come to define the position over decades. That includes the coach, Mike Ditka, Chicago Bears Hall of Famer. And that is actually where Tyler's book starts, a wonderful chapter to open the book on Mike Ditka, his career rise, and all that he did to sort of transform and and, and really establish the tight end position into now what it has evolved to become. The book, again, is The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football by Ty Dunn. It can be found wherever you buy books, online, in bookstores, wherever you go nowadays. Uh, Audio format, you can get this book. You can give it to someone for Christmas next month. It's a tremendous read. The interview that I did with Tyler was uh, last week, October 28th to be exact. That was the Friday of week eight before the Bears went and played the Dallas Cowboys, before the Green Bay Packers lost to the Buffalo Bills on Sunday Night Football. I bring that up because we had a discussion at the end of our conversation about the continued struggles of Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, what that means within the NFC North. Remember, this is the Take the North podcast, and so if the North is there to be taken, part of the reason is because the Packers have shown a way of giving it away at this point, and we'll see if Rodgers and the Packers can recover over the second half of the season. 
Tyler, it should be noted, was once the Packers beat writer for the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel. So his insight on that team is notable and was certainly valuable to this conversation. All of my conversations with Tyler Dunn have always been enjoyable, thorough, enthusiastic. This is just another one of them. So without further ado, here is that interview. All right, we are pleased to be joined right now by award-winning writer, published author, my good friend and friend of the podcast, Tyler Dunn of GoLongTD.com. Tyler has recently published his first book, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. We've got a lot to talk about with that. But TD, how you doing? I am doing fantastic, Dan. My God, it's good to see you. It's good to hear you. I wish you had one of these in your hands and we were in person, you know, drinking a couple of cold ones together because it's been way too long. Yeah, typically our, our drink a couple of cold ones occurs in Indianapolis at the Combine. That's about the only time we see each other in person these days. And so hopefully that'll be, uh, be on the uh, docket for, for February 2023, which will be right around the corner. But uh, yeah, we are in the thick of football season and, and you're in the thick of a, a, a publicity tour for this terrific book that you've written. And uh, I guess starting out, tell me a little bit about how this whole thing came together and what the project the Blood and Guts, How Tight End Safe Football was designed to do with a very, very micro-focused look on one position that has become a big deal in this league that we cover. No doubt. I try to look at the tight end position as like a window into something much, much bigger. So like how this whole thing started, I'm sure you get this question all the time, Dan, because you are just an unbelievable, exceptional writer, thinker. People are probably asking you all the time, like, when are you going to write a book? What are you going to write about? You've written books, obviously, but like, One, what's yeah. the next book going to be? <clears throat> and um, like again and again and again, I kept hearing it and, and nothing was really inspiring me. Like, is it Green Bay related, Buffalo related, whatever you're going to do a book on, like you better be obsessed with it and passionate yes. about it because it is so true. It is at the forefront of your brain every second of every day, it feels like. So you better be all in. And all I really knew was I love football. I played it, you know, throughout my childhood, into high school, year of college, covered it as long as I can remember. Just I, I, I was trying to think of the best way to tell the story of the sport. I guess that's the vague way of saying how it started. And then the more I kind of wrap my brain around it, it's like, okay, it's not necessarily one specific team, one specific player. I didn't want to go narrow that direction. But the tight end position, you have to do everything. You have to be in line, in the trenches, you know, just sweating, bleeding, bruising up people, doing all that grunt work, yet you're also detached from the line of scrimmage. It's third and eight, and there's 80,000 fans screaming, and there's millions of people watching at home, and you have to make a play in front of America, right? So there's the glitz, there's the glam, there's the glory, there's, there's the pressure to make that play. There's intelligence next to the quarterback. Nobody really has to know more about the offense than the tight end. I mean, you're responsible for so much. You're in pass protection, run blocking, you're running routes. So you have to know all the pass concepts um, and, and really that, that that mental pressure that comes with the position. And it, it, it really is so true that you have to mentally, like I feel like all of the, all of the tight ends I talked to for this book at some point, like they faced, that, that fork in the road like they, they could have gone one direction or the other and yeah. the fact that they went a, a very specific direction you know dallas clark his mother dying in his arms and as a high school senior uh jimmy graham's in a group home fearing for his life fighting for his life having to become a quote-unquote savage 
to survive in a group of savages. Like he's an orphan. Nobody, nobody wants him in his life. All, all 15 of these guys, at some point they faced that, that moment and they plowed through it. They went the right direction. I feel like there's a mental pressure that comes with the tight end position that it, it's rooted in something really, really deep in their individual lives. So I just started traveling the country, hanging out with Dicka and Gronk and Jackie Smith and Tony Gonzalez and Ben Coates. And it kind of became something like much, much bigger. The more I talked to these guys where I get it, you're going to see a book and it's like, okay, tight ends. What do I really want to know about tight ends and the X's and O's like there's X's and O's in the book. Don't get me wrong. If that's yeah. your thing, we, we've got you covered, but it's more about life. It's more about all of us staring in the mirror and like examining our own lives. Um, it became bigger than I ever could have anticipated. And it's really cool. Just a little background for our audience. You and I first got to know each other. Was it 2010? You tell me the year. Yeah, 2010. 2010. We were co-workers at the Fayetteville Observer in North Carolina. I was already working at the Fayetteville Observer, and we had an opening at the time for a, a preps writer and a, and a feature writer. And, and our, my boss at the time eventually became your boss, Todd Adams, sent me home with a, a packet of, of three people's work. Right. And I got home and the Tyler Dunn packet jumped off the page. Right. And it was like, dude, like we got to hire this guy. <laughs> terrific young vision, terrific writer, terrific reporting chops. It was all evident from the get go. I bring that up because as I read this book, I, one, I'm very proud of, of, of what you've become and, and, and how good of a writer you are. But number two, inside this book, there is the passion and investment that you bring to your job that is that is evident on a daily basis. And it's really cool to see you take on this project and take people places that, as you just described, you might not expect in, when, you're, when you're picking up a book on tight ends. And I'll start here because the book starts here at the old Florida Golf Club in Naples, Florida. Mike Ditka with a cigar in his hand. And for our audience, obviously, the Take the North <laughs> podcast audience, a, a rabid, loyal Bears fan audience, this is going to be relevant, right? You start the book with Mike Ditka smoking a cigar and talking about his career journey uh, as a tight end. Take me in into that golf club and 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 what what you saw just just sitting down with that coach uh, for the first time in the first chapter. Yeah, so we we talked on the phone for a, a few a few times actually, and at first I'm thinking that's probably going to be as close as I'm going to get to Mike Ditka is just you know chatting with him over the phone and each time it was he kind of had to jog the memory oh who who is this kid from buffalo new york who keeps bothering me about these damn tight ends you know <laughs> but here's here's what's crazy mike dick attacks he does text yeah, yeah. It's the you know the messages are short you know it might just be a word or two but he did text back and i think eventually i just bothered him so much with calls with texts it was like he started to kind of put the pieces together and, and realize what I was working on. And so when I pitched to him, let's, let's just get together right down there in Florida, right where you are every day. Um, he was all about it. You know, what's crazy. The morning that I went to see him, I almost missed my flight. So, oh boy. <laughs> you know, the, 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 our kids were so nuts. We're, we're so nuts the night before that I didn't even set my alarm. I just, just like passed my mind. <laughs> I don't know why. So, um, yeah, hit, hit, Got to the airport, sprinted, made the flight, got down there, hung out with the coach, and it was uh, it was awesome. I mean, we were right where he is every day, and in that back room where he hangs out with his buddies and he plays cards and he's got his yeah. cigar and he's just you know he can't move like he once moved. He's in a right. walker. He kind of scoots around, but um, 
his mind was way sharper than I expected as, as people will read it in, in the book. Like, you know, I had read his autobiography and, and did my research so I could kind of bring up certain moments and certain games that kind of defined him as a player and as a coach later in life. But w- once you kind of brought something up, Mike, Mike remembered it like it was yesterday. And look, like I think he just celebrated his 83rd birthday recently here this fall. And so and so obviously he's he's a ways removed from his days as a player, a ways removed from his days as the coach of the Chicago Bears, which ended 30 years ago. Right. It's insane to think about that at this point. But the reason you start the book where you started is because Mike Ditka was sort of the start of the tight end evolution and the tight of the start of the tight end revolution. Tell people a little bit about what you learned about Luke Johnsos, about Mike Ditka, about how. Today's tight end has Mike Dicka's fingerprints all over it. Right. So, I mean, like, like any, I guess my Mike Dicka expertise was pretty surface level, right? Kind of, kind of saw him in kicking and screaming and see him on <laughs> ESPN Sunday countdown and know about the 85 Bears vaguely, but I, I didn't know anything about him as a tight end. Like, barely knew that he played for the Dallas Cowboys and, you know, had a, a stop at Philly in between, but. Man, to go down there and hang out with Mike Dicka and, and, and kind of start from the start in Aliquippa, Pennsylvania. So there, there's you know a whole upbringing story there on where he comes from and his dad being an old school dad, you know, pulling out the belt, being yeah. abusive. And if you were to take the stories from his childhood and kind of parachute them into life today, you'd say, holy crap, that is awful. And nobody should be raised like Mike Dicka was raised. He looks back at it fondly and says, I am grateful for my father and how he raised me. And the beatings I took were deserved in his mind. He bur- he did burn the woods down, he said. He, you know, <laughs> With a cigarette, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, he smoked a, one of his dead cigs for the first time, You know, threw it down and burned the woods down, and his dad let him feel it. But, uh, but yeah, he gets to the University of Pitt, and – then to the Chicago Bears. He was never really re- used as a receiver through, through high school much, through college much. I mean, no ends were. There were split ends right. and ends. And a split end was the Don Hudson and the Raymond Berry. And, you know, you had – they were the receiving threat. And the end was just an extended tackle who right. maybe they, ran, you know, ran five yards, caught a ball, and fell down. But that was about it. So he gets to Chicago and – I'd love to know if your listeners even have ever heard of Luke Johnsos. Have you, Dan? Like, have you ever heard of Luke Johnsos? I have heard of him, but only because I'm a guy who has media guides, right? And thumbs through and you see uh, various various names and media guides. And and certainly when we were in the 100-year uh, celebration a couple of years ago, there was a lot of history that was revived. But I'm betting that most of this audience, particularly a younger audience that, that we have, has no idea what we're talking about. Right. I mean, he said Luke Johnson, and I'm like Googling, was it Johnson? John- <laughs> like, what, what exactly is that? It is exactly how it sounds. And he was the offensive coordinator under George Hallis. Yeah. And he was the one that Dicka really credits for having the vision to say, okay, Mike, just move about two, three yards outside of the tackle. That way you can have a two-way release. You can go left, you can go right, and it kind of just – it just stretched the game out a little bit and just enough for Mike Dicka to be able to run a route. And I think Mike doesn't give himself enough credit. I mean, he's trying to give everybody else credit as quarterback, his head coach, his offensive coordinator, Tom Landry displayed an unbelievable role later in life, obviously um, because once he caught a ball, all hell broke loose. I mean, he just became that top of the food chain, 
just ass kicker looking to get revenge on anybody who did him or his teammates wrong. And just you know, the, the highlights speak for themselves. I mean, that play against the Pittsburgh Steelers shortly after JFK was assassinated just defines his career. It look it looks like a bunch of like shoemakers and you know milk delivery men like trying to dive on him. Like this, <laughs> these, these helpless DBs that have no yeah. shot at tackling Mike Dicka. But that's that, that's what he did. I think that's really what defined the tight end position more than anything is what he was able to do when he had the ball in his hands. But it, it, it did take like a handful of innovators to, to, to create the tight end position and then keep it innovating, keep it evolving. It wasn't like the whole NFL realized the tight end can be special. Let's make this an athletic freak, this specimen that's going to get these matchups, you know, create all these matchup problems for defenses. It, it was Don Coriel and Sam yeah. Rutigliano and Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick and Sean Payton. And uh, there are dozens upon dozens of more coaches who did not want to evolve and did not want to change. And the tight end just kind of kept evolving over time. No, the last thing on the Ditka topic, because we got a couple other guys I want to ask you about, but uh, the, the time in Philly, right? I, I, in reading your book, it, it left an impact on me more so than probably I ever realized in terms of a, a trying point of his life, certainly a trying point in his football career. I'm, I'm wondering if you can just sort of briefly summarize and encapsulate that period of Mike Ditka's life and the bridge he had across to then, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, unite with Tom Landry and then get himself uh, basically on a rocket to, to superstardom from there. So he's, you know, having this incredible career with the Chicago Bears, but things go south with, with George Hallis. Um, the relationship gets gets colder, isn't as good. Um, I think he's kind of flirting with the AFL at the time. And so George Hallis ships him off to the Philadelphia Eagles. Dicka had a few injuries too. I mean, he he busted up his shoulder and he played a season like with one arm. You know, he's he's catching a ton of passes with one arm, kind of corralling the ball in. Um, but when he got to Philadelphia, the first year was okay. That second year, though, I think they won like two games. He's going at it with the head coach. He's depressed. Um, he's just going out downtown Philly, drinking all the time. He kind of admitted he'd wake up in the morning and not really know how he got back home he's in this haze of not knowing what's real what's not real um he even said like the complexion of his skin would change it, he just drank so much and just let his career let his life slip away to the point where a, a late game with the philadelphia eagles he specifically told his parents like don't go to the game they're at the game and he can remember like being on the sideline just down and out depressed crying just finished with football so when that season was over, he he drove home. He, he was done. He was ready to quit the sport. Who knows where his life even goes? We definitely never even know who Mike Dicka really is beyond, uh, you know, a good, great career with the Bears. But he's never like this Hall of Fame coach and broadcaster and larger-than-life figure. Uh, it took a phone call from Tom Landry. Out of nowhere, Tom Landry, the Dallas Cowboys head coach, who was winning a lot of games but just couldn't get over the hump, reached out to Mike Dickett. Dickett thinks it was because he had a good game against the Cowboys, right? He, in this, in this terrible season, he had a yeah. decent game against, you know, a rival and that Landry thought, okay, this is a player at the end of his career. Um, they can provide some leadership in our locker room can be a good blocker and is going to be able to give us a little something extra to, to get over the hump. So it, Mike it, takes him up on it and he goes to Dallas and his life changes, right? Yeah. Like he, 
we don't talk about his Dallas Cowboys career like nearly enough because like the numbers on Pro Football Reference aren't as good as, good <laughs> as they were in Chicago. His, his career, I mean, he what he did in Dallas helped define the tight end position as much as anything because he faced the man in the mirror and he decided to get his shit together and get his life together and go somewhere and and make something of himself, which comes up again and again and again in the book where so many of these tight ends just. They, they, they could have just disappeared into oblivion, never to be heard from again. But for Mike Dicka to go to Dallas and become the leader on that team, Roger Staubach said himself, like, Dicka was the one who spoke up, got us on the right track after a rough start. They get to the Super Bowl. He catches a touchdown in that Super Bowl, and they, they beat Miami. It's an incredible chapter, and it's an incredible opening to the book to get, get really rolling. And you go through, as you mentioned earlier, a whole – whirlwind world tour of, of talking to tight ends everywhere from different generations and different parts of the country and all these other things before i get into the fun stories because everyone loves a good gronk story you mentioned jimmy graham earlier and we all know jimmy graham the saint we all know jimmy graham the seahawk and the packer and jimmy graham had a two-year stop here in chicago at the end of his career and he actually became a guy that i really enjoyed talking to because he has a level of introspection and engagement that when you got him on the right day for the right amount of time, you're like, man, this is this is a really fun guy to talk to. So just uh, briefly share your your sort of impressions of Jimmy and, and kind of the the incredible nature of his career. I'll tell you this back around the time that uh, we were getting to know each other in North Carolina. Jimmy was coming off a, a basketball career in the ACC. I was covering him as a Miami Hurricane power forward at places like the Smith Center and Cameron Indoor Stadium. And then to see what he became as an NFL tight end, truly remarkable. Just uh, share some some insight into what you took from Jimmy's story. I mean, his life and his upbringing is remarkable in, in itself where nobody even wants him. You know, his mom doesn't want him. All the men in his life don't want him. The, the name of the chapter is Know Your Worth. And they, they basically no, nobody who should have loved him and cared for him at a young age really, really did. So he ends up at this group home, Kennedy home, with a lot of at-risk teens that are two, three, four years older than him that are there because they they got into trouble, right? They needed to be rehabilitated. J Jimmy didn't get in trouble. He, he didn't need to be rehabilitated. Nobody wanted him. So he, he's there and just getting pummeled every day. I mean, he creates this scene. He's in the back of a van, and they literally just ganged up on him and, and broke his face. I mean, he, he was fearing for his life. He had to basically fight for himself with a broomstick every day for survival. So people thinking that he's the soft basketball player later in his when – he, when he gets to the NFL, it was so untrue. I mean, this this was a tough SOB. Who There, there were stories. He even said, we've got a lot of stories in the book. But Jimmy said, look, there, there's stuff I don't even want to get into because it's, it's, yeah. it's too traumatic. He doesn't even want to bring it up because I think it was way worse than we can ever wrap our, our brains around. Um, but, but yeah, like he, he was great. I mean, he was introspective. He was open. He was engaging. I didn't know what to expect. I had never talked to Jimmy Graham before in my life. You know, I'd heard like later in his career, he got a little surly and, you know, wasn't, you know, maybe not a fan of like the big, you know, as we call him, the biz, the gangbang interview where there's a big Trump, group of people yeah. all gathering around. <laughs> but yeah. he, uh, he was unbelievable. Uh, it's so insightful. And uh, I, I think that what was really interesting with Jimmy Graham is, so you mentioned, you know, his University of Miami basketball career where he's blocking yeah. a lot of shots and dunking and he's, you know, a rim runner. So he, he had a decision to make after his basketball career was over and he had a ton of options. He could have gone overseas and one one team in one country, he said, offered him a half a million bucks 
kind of enticing, you know, see the world. Um, had nine NBA uh, tryout, tryout options. He could have, you know, tried to become that 10th, 11th, 12th man, work his way up. There's a lot of money in the NBA. You know, he could have, he could have found a role there. And then um, he could have been a Navy SEAL. Like he just loved the Navy SEALs and the idea of fighting for your country. He was unbelievably bright. Yeah. You know, his grades were exceptional. Um, and then uh, he got a call from the New England Patriots. So Bill Belichick comes up again and again in this book. He knew what the tight end position could be before anybody else, era to era to era. And this is before Jimmy Graham played a down of football with the Hurricanes. Yeah. So his basketball career is over. He's trying to figure everything out. And Matt Patricia puts him through a football workout in Florida, and they basically offer him a spot on the practice squad. Like, hey, come hang out on the practice squad. You'll Tom Brady's the quarterback. Bill Belichick's the head coach. Like, why would you turn that down? A chance to learn from like the best of the best and everything. And yeah. he, it, it hit him when he was at a barbecue, like throwing the football around with Bernie Kosar of all people. Bernie <laughs> Kosar's on campus. And kind of tells him, like, hey, you should give this tight end thing a shot here in Miami. You could have a football career. Look at all the tight ends that have come through here. And, you know, the football coaches, um, a couple of football coaches on staff had been trying to convince him to come over to their sport while he was playing basketball. So the bug was kind of planted. And he decided, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to I'm going to play your college football right here at the U where they've had so many great tight ends. And he did. He did. He, I think he didn't. He I think he caught like 17, 18 balls, but you know, a handful of touchdowns in the red zone. He learned the position. And then by the time the 2010 draft rolled around, everybody kind of knew that this guy was potential position was coming <laughs> by then. Tony Gonzalez, Antonio Gates, all these guys were evolving the position. And, you know, Belichick was, uh, he got Gronkowski in the second round that draft. Then he got Aaron Hernandez in the fourth and Sean Payton knew Sean Payton. I mean, it's, it's uh, the backstory in that draft's unbelievable because you know he, Jimmy Graham was convinced the Baltimore Ravens were going to draft him. They they put him through a workout. It was like a, a brutal workout. They basically they gave him the playbook, like they made it seem like we're taking you, like it's just going to happen. But Bill, then Bill Parcells was running the Miami Dolphins. They wanted Jimmy Graham. They were the coaches at the Senior Bowl that year, and like they made his life like a living hell just to try to make him look bad so the other teams wouldn't draft him. <laughs> and crazy. and so then Bill Belichick still wants him like a year later, obviously. And Sean Payton is really close with Bill Parcells. Like he looks at Bill Parcells as like a father. So they're kind of talking about football and guys they like off the record. And you know, Payton is doing his work. And and guess who the area scout is uh for the Saints, like scouting Jimmy Graham? Jim Monas, my podcast co-host. <laughs> so Monas is like he's studying, so he's he's in the book. Um, he he's like see what Jimmy Graham could be as a tight end, and Peyton had he had the balls to to take Jimmy Graham a round earlier than kind of everybody else. Everybody else kind of viewed him as like a fourth rounder. The Ravens probably would have taken him in the fourth. The Patriots probably would have taken him in the fourth, and Peyton took him in the third. The Dolphins would have taken him in the fourth. The and the, the the Saints took him in the third round. Gave him to Drew Brees, right? And then and how about that for a career breakthrough? So good, good for Jimmy there. The book is The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. And the time we have left, I want to take our audience and your prospective readers into chapter 14, Yo Soy Fiesta. It is the chapter on Rob Gronkowski. Anybody 
who loves Gronk is going to love reading this chapter because it is a very thorough history of who Rob Gronkowski is, who Rob Gronkowski became, why Rob Gronkowski became who he became. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions here. Uh, The first one being, describe to me the significance of the trophy case in the family home of the Gronkowskis in New York. (laughs) Oh, man. So father of the Gronks. Gordy Gronk. Gronkowski. <laughs> we, we got together at G&G Fitness. He's a fitness guru here in Western New York. He wanted all of the brothers to just see who was getting the most trophies. So it became a, a rat race for whoever could collect the most hardware. Each of the Gronks, if my math is correct, there's five Gronks. And one of them, you know, Gordy Jr. was into baseball, but they, they, they all were unbelievable athletes, and it didn't take too long for Rob to, uh, you know, get, get the most hardware. But it was it was just all-out craziness inside of that household in Amherst, New York, where I think we start the chapter with Chris Gronkowski. You know, he's going at it with Rob. Rob, you know, they were getting into it with mini sticks, I believe. And they, you know, <laughs> So for those who don't – I don't know if it's a Western New York thing. But well, like, hockey sticks, Me and my right? brother played it. Yeah, like little hockey sticks, little nets in your basement, and you you do slap shots. You beat the hell out of each other. It's it's a lot of fun. I actually caught a ball from my my brother in the eye once, and I couldn't see for half of a day. So it, it can get rough down there. <laughs> um, but uh, but Chris, to get Rob back, they, he just uh, so the the move for the Gronkowskis was after after you kind of tick somebody off, you retreat to the bathroom, you run to the bathroom, and you close the door, you lock it, you stay there until things calm down. So Rob was blasting away on Chris and then runs to the bathroom and Chris got there just in time to hit check Rob into the door and the momentum took him into the bathtub. He hit his head and he was unconscious and Rob was just out cold. He's done. He's so Chris at first is kind of like laughing and then he, he, he walks he back to the bedroom. Yeah. He thinks is Rob dead? Is, is Rob yeah. done? Did we lose my brother? Is he? <laughs> so he's going to, he's going to, going to call the cops and you know, get help and next thing you know rob just comes storming out of nowhere and gets his revenge and they go at it again so yeah the stories growing up in the house of gronk were wild and i mean you know what's crazy though dan is as much as we saw rob gronkowski like inflict pain on other people like he you know he like broke kyle vandenbosch's like neck just on a crackback block his rookie year to you know kicking sergio brown out of the club like their rivalry is hilarious I mean, he, he did so much, but I think what he takes the most pride in and the most joy in, not just pride, like he enjoys it, is getting hit. He likes yeah. being a glutton of punishment because he just, he's, that's been the case his entire life. He's always antagonizing his brothers and getting hit and he loves getting back up and he always gets back up. I think one of the things that Gronk takes the most pride in is being Gronk. And that's what really comes through in the chapter, because this is a guy who party hard and worked hard. And, and a couple of Chicago connections that I drew in this chapter is the guy that Rob Gronkowski reminds me of reading this is Steve McMichael, Mongo, right? The, the, the larger than life character of the 85 Chicago Bears, maybe the the most colorful personality on a truly colorful team. And the reason that they remind me so much of one another is because these guys were wild men. These guys loved to be the center of attention. These guys loved to be the source of entertainment. These guys loved to party. But in order to be that guy, both of these guys, Tyler, and you wrote about this extensively in this chapter, 
understood that they had to bust their ass in their profession and work on their craft and make sure that they earned the right to party, right? It's a strange thing to say, but both of these guys, all yeah. these years later, have the respect of the guys that were around them. And nobody says, oh, that guy was an idiot. That guy, you know, he, he was just out there from South. It's, it's like we let Gronk be Gronk. We let Mongo be Mongo because we knew who he was as the heartbeat of the locker room and how damn hard they worked. And obviously you, you got into that a little bit. And you just nailed it 100% because when Rob Gronkowski was just, you know, a little kid, you know, barely a teenager, the guy, the tight end, I mean, usually the tight end position, it chooses you. Like you have yeah. a certain set of characteristics that, so there's this gravitational pull where you eventually become a tight end because nobody like dreams of becoming a tight end. It just kind of happens. Um, except for Rob Gronkowski, he <laughs> idolized Jeremy Shockey. Like, yeah. He wanted to be Jeremy Shockey. He saw this dude with the blonde hair that was brash and saying whatever the hell he wanted in New York city, you know, getting all the chicks living the high life going out there on Sunday kicking everybody's ass like that rob gronkowski wanted to be jeremy shockey and he wrote him a letter actually as a kid sent it right to the giants facility and just told jeremy shockey how much he looked up to him and that to your point the, the similarities between shockey and Gronk are pretty like uncanny so jeremy shockey same way yes he partied hard he got a lot of girls he lived it up he packed a lot into his decade in the nfl but if Jeremy Shockey like went out one night and if he had a few drinks, he kind of felt guilty. Like he felt bad inside and he would just wake up and just bang out like 50 to hundred pushups, sit-ups <laughs> yeah. out of nowhere. Same thing with Rob Gronkowski. If he was hung over with his brothers, they'd pop in P90X insanity DVD and get a workout <laughs> yeah. and work it off. You know, it's just, just like it's you like, and I did, oh, right? When we were hungover way. back in the day. Exactly oh, what we yeah, would do. Yeah. P90X. We're, yeah, we're, we're the JW, you know, working on that trend. <laughs> <laughs> well, so listen, like like you bring up Indianapolis there. Victory Field is is the, the site of the post-Super Bowl party after the Giants take down the Patriots for the second time in a Super Bowl, and it's a devastating loss for the Patriots. They lose with their final Hail Mary being just outside the, the reach of Rob Gronkowski's hands. And there he is just a few hours later partying his butt off, which rubbed some people the wrong way, including some former Patriots, some of the old school former Patriots. What I thought was notable in the chapter was you wrote about how, how a guy like Rodney Harrison was, was very uh, condemning with his words and saying, well, but it never happened in our era. And what I like the most about Rob Gronkowski is throughout his career, he was just like, this is who I am, right? Like you're going to get the results out of me, live with who I am. And, and, and this is who I am. And, and, and ultimately over time, the guys that played with him love the dude because he's a giant teddy bear and he's a damn hard worker. And most importantly, he gets those results on, on game day. Yeah. You know, he, he, he epitomizes the position, the sport, and in countless ways. And he's, he saved the sport in countless ways when, you know, the overcorrection is really kicking in and there's flags and there's fines and guys don't even really know what football is anymore. Here comes Rob Gronkowski reminding everybody that we love violence and that physicality matters. But equally important is the fact that, you know, right then in the early 2010s, Bill Belichick is starting to become the greatest coach of all time. You know, it's enter entering our brains. We all kind of look at him as that. And his assistants go elsewhere and lose. Yet, for whatever reason, subconsciously or consciously, we all think, oh, to win in the NFL, 
you, you kind of have to be a mean old cuss. You need to yeah. have, you know, players who are basically robots who just get yeah. in line and are militaristic and do what they're told. And that that's like that's the formula that if you say if you're honest, if you say what you feel and it gets in the media like that equates to losses, which is just ridiculous. We're not that important in the media. We really aren't. Um, so I think Rob Gronkowski's significance to the sport is that as well. Like that summer, that off season, right when <laughs> I mean, that was the number one story out of that game is Rob Gronkowski after a Super Bowl loss when he should be drowning in his tears is popping his shirt off and dancing with his brothers on, on one good leg. Right. Right. Like he, he barely, he barely was able to play in that game. And you're right. was inches short of catching that. Hal Mary um, for him to then party, you know, party like crazy and face the backlash, not just from people in the media, but like former several former Patriots came out and were unhappy with how he conducted himself. Uh, the Patriots weren't happy, but for his reaction to be, I am not going to change. I am going to be myself. This is the life I've always wanted. He always wanted to live like a rock star. <laughs> Thinking back to watching Jeremy Shockey and seeing, seeing how he lived his life. Like he, that, that was the summer of Gronk, if people remember, yeah. right? Like there was so many stories written, so, so, so many TV specials. I think that was the same summer he said he was going to take Tim Tebow's virginity away. Like he, he partied hard. He said whatever he wanted, and the Patriots couldn't say a word. Because you know why? Because he worked his ass off. He was productive. He was one of the most dedicated, resilient dudes in that building. And he, he played hard. He partied hard. He backed it up. He was exactly what the NFL needed at that time. Yeah, and and, and, and your readers will love the excerpt about Sergio Brown, who's a local kid. He's from Chicago. He's from Proviso West. He played his college ball at Notre Dame and obviously had a, a rivalry. I'm just going to leave that hanging as a tease because people are going to love reading that uh, when they when they pick up the book, which is uh, The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. Before I let you go, TD, we're in the middle of the 2022 NFL season. As we're recording this, it's the Friday of week eight. So this is not going to drop until next week. And so there's going to be more action that's played, but you and I have a lot of back and forth over the years. You covered the Packers for several years. You are still very in tune and in tap tapped into to things that go on in green Bay. We have a lot of discussions about Aaron Rodgers. Well, Aaron Rodgers is in the middle of a, a, a very trying season up in green Bay. His favorite receiver, Devontae Adams is off in Las Vegas. His offense isn't working the way it was as we're recording this. As I mentioned, the, the, the Packers are getting ready to play the Buffalo Bills on a Sunday night primetime game that could be either an exposure of how far they need to go or a, a bounce back game that they sorely need. But I'm just curious in seeing this start that the Packers have been on three and four, uh, a losing skid that's very unfamiliar up there, struggles from the quarterback and inability to get anything going. Your impressions, and obviously uh, we can we can banter back and forth a little bit about, uh, about Aaron too if you want. Regardless of what happened in that game that people know the result of when they're listening to this, what a colossal missed opportunity. People told me I was insane, Dan. You probably did when we talked. I don't know. But two years ago, even last year, the opportunity to trade a league MVP for anything you want, three first-rounders, four first-rounders, two seconds, three-thirds, a package of players. What do you want? Jerry, Judy, uh, Patrick Sertan. Hey, what about the Raiders? Gruden would have loved Aaron Rodgers. Maybe you bring Derek Carr to Green Bay. That's Devontae Adams' best friend. Bring him aboard and take three first-rounders while you're at it. I don't know. Like, I think Tom Brady has always been the anomaly. He's always been in his oh, own sure. category. Like, mid-40s, playing like he's playing, 
every other Hall of Fame quarterback is it looks like Aaron Rodgers looks right now. Like not terrible, but ordinary. He looks ordinary. Yeah. He's yeah. a little off the fastball. He's not as, as athletic, not as mobile. There's he's just he's he's not special and he, he doesn't have a trusted go to win. Yeah. No question. Right. About he doesn't it. have Devontae Adams. I would still call I just think you it's a cr- huge missed opportunity. I would still call you crazy for that because you don't throw away 13 win seasons while you can have them. You got to remember, I'm on my 10th season on the Bears beat. They've had one winning season, right? And so when you're in the middle of a run of sustained success, you can't take it for granted. People in Chicago will tell you that 5,000 times over that they've been trying to recreate the 80s through the 90s, the 2000s, the 2010s, and now the 2020s. And they failed and they failed and they failed and they've never had a quarterback anything like the last two guys that have started in Green Bay. And so it's very risky to play that game of Russian roulette and say, ah, let's just end our window early when you've got a chance to make a run at Super Bowls. I think the other thing that's interesting to me is, like, this is notable for our audience right now because you seem to have a high level of belief in who Jordan Love can be. I don't know much about what Jordan Love can be, and I have my skepticism because I know how most – first round quarterbacks turn out to be right the odds just tell you if you're betting yes or no you're going to win more times betting no than you are betting yes but 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 what tell tell our audience here what you think of Jordan Love and if that secession plan comes into uh to action sooner than people anticipate what you think of Jordan Love and and and, you know just to your earlier point on moving on Green Bay did it before right I mean Brett Favre I remember being there as an intern, seeing the shareholders go up to Ted Thompson with paperwork saying, sign this petition, bring Brett Favre back. Brett Favre took you within a pass of the Super Bowl, you know, 07. And sure. Ted, Ted Thompson, say what you want about Ted, but for him to have the backbone to say, no, we drafted this quarterback, we're going to go with this quarterback. Um, I, I feel like that – yeah, there'd be pitchforks in, in front of your stadium. There were then, but there might be pitchforks anyways if they lose to Buffalo by 30, which I guess people know the result by now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we they, don't. If things continue to go south, like fans are going to be angry anyways. So it's I think it's okay to just, hey, they're kind of half pregnant right now, as Rex Ryan once said. They're, you took the quarterback, but then Aaron Rodgers kind of threw a wrench in your plans, so you're backtracking and – now, if he retires after this year, you're on the hook for 150 million. Your salary cap is shot. You could be bad for a decade, anyways. I promise, I'm getting your question, uh, Jordan Love. So, I think like the reason I've been banging the table um, so loudly to trade Aaron Rodgers the last couple of years is, is more so like Rodgers related more than anything in the the whole package. And I get it; they bent the knee and they gave him full autonomy at the line of scrimmage, and they've given him personnel control. They, they let him. You know, bring his buddy Randall Cobb, an old, slow, just about wash slot receiver who's going to take reps from a younger player. Like, he he can kind of do whatever he wants. Even listening to a Matt LaFour press conference is kind of hilarious. He doesn't sound like a head coach. I don't think. I mean, he's, he sounds terrified to piss off Aaron Rodgers to me. Um, I don't think we're going to see Matt LaFour just stand up there and, and, and sound like a head coach that could be critical of a player when it comes to the quarterback. So... Aaron Rodgers has a lot of power internally. And you're right. They're all in with him till he wants to leave. And if they ever get to Jordan Love, I'm, I'm even skeptical. I don't know. I mean, who knows? Um, I think that they're, yeah, you know, the numbers in the preseason aren't good. But if you actually watch Jordan Love year one to two to three, he is a completely different quarterback. I mean, really, I, I guess a lot of the problems Aaron Rodgers has now 
Jordan Love kind of saw in the preseason, like drop passes. Like he, he was putting the ball on the money. He was making a ton of plays outside of the pocket, improvising, doing the kind of stuff you saw at Utah State where it's weird, it's different. We're not used to developmental quarterbacks. Like the, the thing now is if you draft a quarterback in the first round, he plays year one. It just it just yes. ha- the at the the Adam Breer Excel spreadsheet that, that gets shared, <laughs> you know, like like the old school method of just developing a quarter it, that's a decade, two decades old. So Green Bay's met- methodology here is is different. I get it, but I feel like he has developed to a point where you you could surround him with talent and win games. I mean, if Jordan Love was the quarterback of this team, I don't think it'd be that much different than what we're seeing now. Um, well, I'll tell, but you, yeah. you at least have a plan for the future. I'll tell you this. The, the folks in Chicago are eager to see how this plays out. The folks in Chicago see the, the recent losing skid that the Packers are on, and they say, is this it? Is this the opportunity where the Packers' dominance over this division recedes and there's an open window, right, to, to, to go and attack? And so uh, I think the, the, the belief is like, okay, Green Bay, you want to see how we've been living for the last 30 years? Let's, yeah. let's see you try to operate without a Hall of Fame quarterback, right, like which you've had the luxury of having for, for 30 years now, which is I- insane. And so the level of curiosity, the Bears are in the middle of a rebuilding year. Uh, no one is expecting them to accomplish anything grand in 2022 and perhaps not even in 2023 or 2024. But if that window in the division opens, it changes everything in the conversation. And so the curiosity, I, I think there's a lot of listeners of this podcast that will hear sort of your uh, critical nature of Aaron Rodgers and be like, hell yeah. Like, I'm going to go read all the Tyler <laughs> stuff and go along TD.com. I'm going to follow this. By the blood and guts, right? <laughs> yeah. By the blood and guts, how Tyler didn't say football. You're going to earn some fans with that. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see where this goes. I, I, you know, listen, like, yeah. I uh, I understand some of your criti- critical uh, thoughts on Aaron over the years, how, how thin skinned he can be, how, how, uh, the prima donna nature is is within him in in his DNA and and how it affects things. I, like I say, I also know what it's like to cover a football team that cannot get the quarterback position right ever. And so my uh, my 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 knee jerk instinct is I'd rather deal with the the Hall of Fame guy who's a little bit of a a problem to handle at times than deal with thirty years of mediocrity where you can never get the position right. And so we'll see. Maybe the Bears get it right. Maybe the Packers recede, and maybe everything in this division is completely up for grabs ten years from now. Uh, when, when, when we're revisiting this discussion. what? All right, but Dan, what, what did you make of Aaron's comments this week when he says a lot of people – so he he was very critical of teammates with Pat McAfee, right? Like he he let him have it publicly and said that Tom Clements graded him higher than um, any, any week this season. His, his, his personal quarterback's coach back to the start of it all uh, – <laughs> which is kind of interesting. But when he then addresses the backlash to that comment by saying a lot of people in today's society just can't handle criticism. Well, so I, mean, so, I could not help but laugh. Like he, he does not, I, I just, I just remember him, you know, sitting down with an ally and local media there in Milwaukee after a certain story was written at Bleach Report and very, very upset with some criticism, right? He's on uh, Greg Jennings and Jermichael Finley were, were sent to the cornfield by Aaron Rodgers because they were critical. Like they're ostracized yeah. from the fan base. No doubt. And, <laughs> and I, I, I think the, the word that I used a minute ago was thin skin. And I think that's apparent. And I think that there is uh, certainly a lack of self-awareness at times, right? It certainly came up last year with all the COVID stuff and Aaron's consistent uh, attempts to twist reality into something that fits what makes him the, you know, 
guy on the, on center stage that has all the answers, right? And I can understand how how insane that can be. I also say I just say this like it's 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 a really cool discussion to have because of the, the the point counterpoint. And I don't know that there's been a player in my you know 12 years covering the league that has been more fun to watch just in terms of his ability to to pinpoint throws and make big plays and big moments and do some things that I've seen live that I go, holy crap, that doesn't look anything like anything I've seen with the Chicago Bears. So it's a, it's a weird kind of kind of balancing act that you got to go through with it, right? And I know you've lived it. Well, he's, he, he's been the hot chick with the baggage that you don't care about the baggage. But what, what happens when you kind of lose that hotness, right, for a <laughs> – Good analogy. Sorry. I don't know if I can say that. Can I use that in 2022? Is that going to get me canceled? Am I? I don't care. We'll see. We'll check with our producers here at Take the North. Well, Tyler, it's always a, a great discussion. Uh, once again, the book is The Blood and Guts, How Tight Ends Save Football. It's uh, Your work can be found at golongtd.com. I'm a loyal subscriber. This audience, if they like the NFL and they like reading deep dives on, on some of the players and personalities in our league, they should get there uh, as soon as possible and get their subscription. Thank you, brother. It's always good talking. Thank you for coming on the show. Dan, I, I miss hanging out with you. We should do it beyond the combine. Let's make it happen very, very soon. And, and thank you so much for the opportunity here. Just, yeah, I know you got an awesome, awesome audience to spread the word on blood and guts. So I appreciate it. Yeah. And, and let me tell you, the audience loves when we butter them up. So thanks for doing that there at the end. It's the smartest audience in, in professional football. <laughs> the, the, North podcast the best. The most, the best. It's, 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 it, you don't get an audience better than the Take the North podcast audience. And so it's nice to introduce you guys to each other. All right. That'll do it for this show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.